Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise God. John chapter 14 is where I would like to begin this evening. John chapter 14. And I'm going to just take a little bit of time and cover uh, some things that I discussed in a previous uh, lesson that was a few weeks back. And so um, we may not end up going over exactly the same things, but I encourage you to look back at a lesson that I taught on a Sunday night about two weeks, maybe three weeks ago, called The Greater Works. Uh, and we're going to be following along in that same outline. And so John 14 is uh, a, a declaration that Jesus makes, and it pertains to us. It's about us. And he says in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works than these shall you do. Hallelujah. The one that believes on me, greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. The word greater means more in quantity. More in quantity. And the reason is because he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He said, I'm going to my Father, but those who believe on me will do greater works. Well, these greater works are the works of Jesus in the body, in the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. You and I are the ones who believe on him. So it's not limited to just people who are in the full-time ministry or in the pulpit ministry, every believer is to be equipped for the greater works. Every believer can do the works of Jesus. Jesus is, is saying here that it is by our faith in Him that we are capable of doing the same works that He did. Well, we, we want to know then how did Jesus do the works that He did? How did He do them? Because when I first got saved, and you may have also thought this, and I can't say it was necessarily something somebody taught me. I think it was just something I assumed. I assumed Jesus did everything He did because He was Jesus. Because He was the Son of God. And so I put Him in one category, and I put myself in a whole nother ball field. I didn't even have myself on the same league as He is in, but Jesus is saying, He that believes on me is going to operate in the same works that I do. Hallelujah. Now, when I say the question, when I ask the question, how did Jesus do what he did? We need to answer that. That needs to be something that we can answer with scripture and we can be really settled on it. How did Jesus do? what he did. Was it because he was 
the Son of God? Was it because he was Jesus and that, that sets him in a category all by himself? Jesus, Jesus continually identified himself as the Son of Man. We identify him as the Son of God, but he wanted it to be known that he was here operating as a man. Because if we can see how Jesus legally did what he did, we'll see how he plans for us to do his same works. Amen? And so uh, let's talk about how Jesus did what he did. How did Jesus do what he did? Well, we, we in, in, in that previous lesson, and I'm going to just re- recap it because we need that foundation for where we're going tonight. Jesus was born legally into this earth. He said in John chapter 10, he said, the, the shepherd of the sheep enters in through the, the door. The shepherd enters in through the door. The thief comes in another way. What is he talking about? Satan did not have a legal right to be on the earth. He, he came into the earth not by being born here. He came into the earth and deceived Adam and Eve, or deceived Eve and Adam fell in transgression and through that fall they submitted what God had delegated to them to Satan. But Satan had no legal right to be here up until that moment that that Adam delegated the by obeying Satan's voice the authority God had delegated to him. So Jesus did come legally. Jesus was born on the earth and that birth gave him a legal right to be in the planet. He said when the enemy confronted him, for instance, in Mark chapter 5, we see one of those confrontations. And when you understand from this perspective... why the enemy would say something like this. In Mark 5, verse 7, the demons cry out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, you Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. The word adjure is a military command in the original language. I adjure you by God. The devil is going to give a command to Jesus and use God's name? I command you by God that you torment me not. Why did he think he had the right to give a command? Because he didn't think Jesus had a legal right to be in that body. He did not think Jesus was there legally. But Jesus was there legally. Philippians chapter Two shows us how God legally provided our Redeemer. Philippians 2 and verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. Being found as a man. 
He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Amplified. Can you show me the Amplified of verses? uh, Let's start with verse 6. The Amplified says, Who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, What are those attributes that make God who God is? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means He's present everywhere all the time. Jesus had to lay all of that down. He had to strip Himself of omniscience. He had to strip Himself of omnipresence. He had to strip Himself of omnipotence and come as a man... If he did not, he could never have legally redeemed us. For the redemption to be legal, he had to come as a man. For him to die, he had to come as a man. For him to pour out his blood on the cross, he had to come as a man. For him to be a lamb sacrificed, He had to be a man. He couldn't come as God and be any of those things. So he had to legally come. And for him to regain the authority that God had given the first Adam, he had to come as a man. Because God gave authority to mankind, all of the mankind lineage on the earth had fallen So God needed someone who was still a man but was not connected to Adam. Somebody who was a man who hadn't fallen. A man who was not in that same uh, um, uh, line of descendants. Amen? So Jesus came born of a virgin. That's important for our faith. Our faith has to anchor in that. I know there are certain translations that say a young girl. That could be detrimental to to a person's faith. It, It wasn't just her age. It was the fact that she had never been with a man. She was 100% a virgin. And when she became pregnant, it was because she received God's Word and the Word became flesh in her womb, and because of that truth, the blood of Jesus was different than every other human being's blood on the planet. Because of that truth, He was born spiritually alive, and so if you would have, for instance, before the cross, if you could have taken spiritual binoculars and looked in the spirit of every human being, every human being on the face of the planet was spiritually dead except Jesus. That's why the demons could look at him and see the life of God in him and know how did, how did God's life get in that man? He must, be, he must have possessed that man, but he didn't. He legally was born into that man, Jesus. God's Word became flesh, and that's, that's an anchor point for our faith. Our faith anchors on that because, because of that, Jesus was qualified to die innocent. He never sinned. 
tempted in every way and never sinned. He had no sin in his blood. His blood was, if you could have done a blood test or if you could do a blood test today on the blood on the mercy seat, it has God the Father's DNA in the blood of Jesus. Because the Bible says he washed us in his own blood. Amen? So the, the way that Jesus came legally as a man is important because he was 100% the Son of God. It does not take away from the fact that he was the Son of God. 100% the Son of God, yet he was 100% human. Just like you and I, if you're born again, you are 100% human. Your being born again did not detract or, or subtract from your humanity. You're still human, but it also doesn't disqualify you from being spiritual. You are 100% a child of God, even though you're human. Your humanity does not take away from your being a child of God and your being a child of God does not subtract from your humanity. This is God's plan. He created us in His image and in His likeness. Those of us who have received Jesus as Lord, we are born again. We have been made the children of God and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And in that being born again, we are now placed back into that same make and model that Jesus is in, that He was in when He was on the planet. I say make and model because everybody born after Adam was in, it was like an assembly line. You know, if you go to the assembly line and you say, I want this, this type of a vehicle, and you know, but I want this color and I want this package on it, I want the sports package, I want this. Well, the, the basics of the vehicle are the same. Amen? But it might be a different color. It might have different accessories. It might have, have different tires on it, different wheels. Different, but the basics of the model of that vehicle are the same. Everybody born after Adam had that, had that model of Adam, spiritual death. Right? So when we're born again, we come off a new assembly line. And we come off with the maximum sports package and, and all the bells and whistles because now we're created in Christ. We're recreated in Christ. Amen? Amen. We're we'll come off that, that assembly line of heaven and now we have all of the equipment that Jesus had as He walked the earth. Hallelujah. That's how we're going to do the works of Jesus and greater works than these shall we do because we are made in His image in the new birth. Well, so now we recognize our humanity does not take away from our ability to cooperate with God. It's how God created us. But our being born again is what enables us to work in the kingdom to operate in the kingdom, why the kingdom rules with the kingdom equipment. And we also recognize one other thing about Jesus. Not only was he born a man, as a man operating in the earth with the life of God in him, but then we also see something important happen 
when he, right after he was baptized in water. Look at Luke 3. And we're going to read 21 and 22 of, verse, of chapter 3, Luke 3, 21. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. It did not say the clouds parted. Don't put a Hollywood imagery of that verse. It says the heavens opened. The heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. Stop right there and and pause and think on that for a minute. Do a Selah moment there. The Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. I know it says like a dove, but I think too many times that, that, that again switches the image for people. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. How He descended was like a dove. But it did not say a dove descended. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in a bodily shape. Not in the shape of a dove. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in a bodily shape. Upon. Upon. If you haven't already circled that in your Bible, circle it. Because we're going to see it a lot. We're going to see that, that, that preposition showing an important detail about how the Holy Spirit comes upon people, how He moves and operates in our life. The the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my Son, my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Holy Ghost descended upon him. Praise God. In the very next chapter, Jesus ministers a sermon. The first recorded sermon that we have of him, especially immediately following what what happened as the Holy Spirit came upon him. He said... In Luke 4, verse 1, it says that he, uh, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now after he has received of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, it refers to him being full of the Holy Ghost and led by the Spirit. Verse 18 of this same Uh, actually, let's pick it up in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So He's flowing in in the flow of the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. He's in the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus specifically looked for in the text to minister. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you haven't circled upon, go ahead and circle it again. Did you we see? We already seen it twice, just in these this two chapters. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So is that important? Is it important that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us? Was the Spirit of the Lord already in Jesus, in His Spirit? Was the life of God in Him? Yes, he was born spiritually alive. He had always been spiritually alive. He had never experienced spiritual death. 
He was born of God. Amen? And so he had always had the life of God in him, but now the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he is announcing that the Holy Spirit is upon him. And he tells us why the Holy Spirit is upon him. The Holy Spirit is not upon him for, for the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in him for the fruit of the Spirit to help him walk with God. We see he was 12 years old and he was able to understand the Scripture and confound the religious theologians of his day. They were surprised that this 12-year-old could understand the gospel the way he did. Why? Because he was spiritually alive. He could understand the Word. It was alive to him. When he would read it, it he, he, he could grasp it. He could perceive it. He knew what it was talking about. Amen? But now he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he announces it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. He says the Spirit coming upon Him is the anointing of God. Is God anointing Him? When we know about the anointing, the anointing was something we saw from the Old Testament. They anointed people in the Old Testament. And in that anointing, they were empowered. David... Do you know why David could defeat the, the lion and the bear? Do, you, we, do we know why David? It wasn't because David was so courageous in himself. It wasn't even because he was so mighty in himself. The might came from the anointing. Amen. The might of Samson was in the anointing. He was, it was because of that anointing that came upon him that Samson could take a jawbone of a donkey and defeat an entire Philistine army. It was because of the anointing on David that gave him the supernatural power to defeat a lion with his bare hands, taking the lion with his bare hands and smiting him with his bare hands. And he was a boy. He was a boy. He was a young teenager. It wasn't his great prowess that gave him the ability to defeat Goliath. It was the anointing upon him. And that same anointing came upon the men who connected to David in Cave Abdullam. All of these people came and they were in debt and they were in distress and they were discontented. And they came and joined themselves to David for the purpose of helping him accomplish the mission or the assignment of God upon him. And the anointing that was on David, you see it working in them. All of a sudden, you've got, you've got uh, the, the people who are serving under him defeating. One of them stood in a pea patch and defeated a whole garrison of the Philistine army just by himself. Hallelujah. That was not coincidence. The anointing that was on David got on him. And so Jesus said, the anointing is upon me because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. God has anointed me. And the same anointing that gave him the power to do what he did because there were no miracles before Jesus received the anointing. 
There were no birds that got their wings healed. No butterflies got their antennae put back on. There were no turtles that got their shells healed. No, there are a lot of, of misconceptions that are brought out through movies that were for Hollywood. But the scripture clearly tells us the beginning of miracles occurred after the anointing came upon Jesus. Jesus was 100% the Son of God, yet did not operate in any power of God until the Holy Ghost came upon Him. Upon Him. When the Holy Ghost came upon Him, He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me. God has anointed me. And in this anointing, I now have the power to preach the gospel to the poor, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to set free the captives. The anointing is the purpose of all of those things. Amen? The anointing is what's going to produce all of those things. So if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come upon Him to anoint Him, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us and to anoint us to do the greater works. We can't do greater works without the worker of the greater works because we in ourselves don't have the power to do the greater works. Jesus is our model. He came as an example. He modeled the, the, the years from the time that the anointing came upon him until he went to the cross those were modeling years, examples. This is how you do it. This is how you handle it. That was for us to have a pattern to follow. So our pattern is, now that we're born again, we're alive unto God, just like Jesus was alive unto God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, just like the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, to anoint us with His power. So Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter is preaching. And in his sermon, we have this familiar text, but put your eyes on it with me. Acts 10, 38. He says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed Jesus of of Nazareth. Now, whenever we read about different people, we'll find that their hometown is listed to let us know where they originated from. Right? Saul of Tarsus. Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that placed in this verse? Why didn't Peter just say how God anointed His only begotten Son? Because He didn't anoint Him as the only begotten Son. He anointed Him as a man alive unto Him. A man alive unto Him. He anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. How was God with Jesus? Through the anointing. 
The, the Holy Ghost came upon him. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the Godhead. God was with Jesus. How was he with him? Through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, he went about doing good and healing all because God was with him. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus uh, is speaking here moments before he ascends to take his place at the... Remember what he said in John 14, greater works than you, than these shall you do because I go to my Father. These are moments before he goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he says in verse 8, you shall receive power, dunamis, that word is defined miraculous power, ability. The Strong's Concordance even uses this definition, the worker of miracles. You shall receive the worker of miracles. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Hallelujah. When the Holy Ghost comes upon us, the worker of miracles is now with us. God is with us. He's, he's, he's in us by the new birth. He's, he's in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But he's working with me by his anointing. He's not working with me by the new birth. He's in me by the new birth to help me walk in line with His Word, to give me wisdom, to strengthen me, to give me joy, peace. All of the things that we see in the fruit of the Spirit, those are available in the new birth through the life of God in me. All of the, the leadings of the Holy Spirit when Jesus in John 14, 15, and 16 is talking about the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to show you things to come. All of those workings are things He does in us, helping us live victoriously by having an inside console that we can look and see this is how God wants me to handle this. This is the prompting of the Lord to help me know what I need to, to do in this financial situation, how I need to address this, this problem in my family. All of these different uh, aspects to live victoriously come by His indwelling, by Him living in us. That's the fountain springing up, that well of living water. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is that well of living water. Hallelujah! In our spirit springing up to help us live that victorious life. But those rivers of living water that he speaks of in John chapter 7, that's for us to minister the gospel through the signs and the wonders and the power of God upon us. Hallelujah. And so we are not limited to one or the other. We're supposed to have both the indwelling of the Spirit of God and His infilling. That's why we refer to this as the fullness, the fullness of the Spirit, that I have Him in my heart and I have His power upon me. That's, that's the fullness of the Spirit. So He says you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come. Did you circle upon? Do you see it again? Upon you. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
So now we know how Jesus did what he did. He was alive unto God and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Both of those in operation, him being spiritually alive and then the Holy Ghost, the worker of miracles, because a person who is not born again cannot receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's the only requirement to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to be born again. Any born-again believer can be baptized with the fullness of the Spirit. The evidence of the baptism of the Spirit is speaking in other tongues, but speaking in other tongues is not in and of itself the end or the only operation of the fullness of the Spirit. The anointing coming upon us. Amen? Speaking in other tongues is the evidence I have received. But it's not, it's not the end of what I've received in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Just like when you're filling up your tank in your car, you know, if you, if you go past that security, click off, you know, it'll click off. And, and when it gets to full, if you keep pushing past, it, it's going to overflow out of the tank, right? You're going to have it pouring back out. When you get full of the Holy Spirit, you, that evidence of speaking in other tongues, that's the fullness. It's coming back out of the tank. But, but that's not the end of it. That, that fullness then is the anointing. It's the power of God to help us be a witness unto Him. That's what He said right there in Acts. He said, then you'll be a witness unto me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I, I want to look at one other... It said that God was with Jesus. Mark 16. Mark 16, Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples and then He is received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. Verse 20 of Mark 16 says, And they went forth, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Well, it just said He went and sat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. How is He working with them? And said, confirming the word with signs following. What are the signs? He said, these works that I do, you'll do also and greater than these. The Lord working with them. How was He working with them? The same way the Father was with Jesus, by the anointing. Because He anointed them with the Holy Ghost and with power so that the disciples could go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed, for the Lord is with them. How Mary went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the enemy, for the Lord is with her. How is the Lord with her? In the anointing. How is the Lord with Gloria? In the anointing. How is the Lord with you? In the anointing. Amen? That's the plan of God. That's the pattern of God for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church at Corinth, they were a zealous group of people. They wanted the power of God in manifestation in their church. 
And we get the privilege of a lot of wisdom through the instruction the Apostle Paul was given to the church at Corinth. In their correction, we can glean some things, even if we're not in need of the same correction that they needed. We can see a lot of truths. For instance, they needed correction because they were out of line with the way the gifts were operating. They wanted just to operate gifts all the time and no preaching. Well, that's not going to help anybody grow, is it? Right? And so he was saying, you got to set some things in order. That the Holy Spirit, God is not a God of confusion. He said, let the, let the prophesy two or three and then let everybody else hold their peace. And it's like, it won't hurt them. It won't hurt them. <laughs> they can, it, and, and so he was setting some order about things that were taking place in their church. So we can learn from this. But he also, in the very first verse of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The word gifts is in italics. It says, now concerning spiritual, spiritual things, spiritual flows, spiritual manifestations, the way the Holy Spirit operates, I do not want you lacking knowledge. God wants us to know how His Spirit operates. He wants us to know the flows of the Spirit. He wants the church to be a safe place for the Holy Spirit to operate and for us to learn how to operate. Nobody came into a participation with the Holy Spirit knowing everything about it except Jesus. <laughs> All the rest of us, we've had to learn by trial and error. Do I, do I speak that word out in tongues or do I not? Is that me or is that the Holy Spirit telling me to say that? All of us have to learn how, how He prompts us, how He deals with us, how He will manifest through us. And the more that we have a stability of the Word, the, the, the safer it will be for us and the more courage that we'll have because every, every obedience to the prompting of the Lord is going to require our faith. We're going to have to bring our faith to it. So he, I want to go down here to verse 7. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. There's profit in the manifestation of the Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit is in manifestation, people profit from it. Lives profit from how He moves in our life. Lives profit. Answers are brought to people. Strength is brought to people. People are edified. Lights come on. Light shines upon their path. It helps. This also means when it says to profit with all is given to every man to have something to contribute is one way that this could translate. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Remember, we're talking to believers here. He said in verse 1, brethren. So when, not to every man saved and unsaved, but to every, every believer who will 
yield to and participate with the Holy Spirit, He desires for everybody to have a part. Not all in the same service, but for everybody to have a part. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. We've just listed nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. All these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will, as the Spirit wills. None of these belong to any person. None of these gifts are gifts that the Lord gives for you to use whenever you want to. They are the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gifts. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are His. He is the worker of miracles. As He wills. They work as He wills. You can't turn them on. You can't turn them off. You can participate. You can yield. But you can't force God to work one of these gifts. They are as the Spirit wills. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't heal everybody on the porch that day? You know when he went in and, and that man by the pool of Bethesda was, was sitting there and he said, I have no man to put me in the water. Do you wonder why Jesus didn't heal everybody laying around that pool that day? How did Jesus do what he did? How did Jesus do the greater works? Did Jesus just go around and pick and choose who he wanted to heal? Or did he have to see who the Spirit of God was leading him to operate that gift of healing for? Because the, the, when that man's faith wasn't... <laughs> it wasn't the man at the pool of Bethesda's faith. You know, the woman who was healed of the issue of blood, it was her faith. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Jesus didn't initiate it. He was walking along and he said, whoa, 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 hey, somebody touched me. Somebody, and they said, everybody's touching you. He goes, no, no, no. Somebody's faith connected to the power. And power, dunamis, dunamis, that same word that we just saw in Acts 1-8, you shall receive dunamis, the worker of miracles. The worker of miracles was just made, somebody just made contact with the healing anointing, the miracle power. Dunamis has gone out of me. And he was looking for who it was. Remember, he's not omniscient. When he was operating as a man, he stripped himself of that omniscience and now he's looking. Who got healed? I'm looking. Who got healed? And she came and told the story of how she got healed. Well, she initiated that healing, but the man at the pool of Bethesda did not. Jesus said to ask him a question, and he said, he said, do you want to be healed? And he said, I don't have anybody. What's he talking about? I don't have gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. 
That's what his response was. It was not his faith that got that man healed. It was a gift of healing. It was a working of a miracle. It had to have been either one of those. For him to be healed, I would say it was a working of a miracle because he, he, had, he, he didn't have any muscles developed. Amen? So not only was he healed, it may have been both. It might have been the gift of healing and the working of miracles, but the Holy Ghost initiated it and Jesus responded to the Holy Spirit and that man received the healing, the wholeness by a working of a gift. That's why Jesus didn't heal everybody. The Holy Spirit didn't lead him to heal everybody. In that instance, there were other instances where they came. Now, see the difference? That goes back to according to your faith. There are other cases where people came to hear and be healed. And when that happened, he healed the multitude. Why? Because they were open. They were, they were initiating the power to come to them. They were, they were connecting. They had their feelers out. They, they were like the catcher, you know, out there. The, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open, Lord. I'm here to hear and be healed. And then there were multitudes because everybody in that had a hunger for what Jesus was ministering. They came to... The reason they were there was because of Jesus ministering the Word and healing. So, so we see in those situations, a lot of them, they, they, they were multitudes healed. But in other occasions, there was just one. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda, or, or uh, uh, blind Bartimaeus, or uh, different ones. And so uh, when we look at these, we've got to recognize how, if, Jesus, if I'm supposed to do the greater works, if I'm supposed to do what Jesus did, the same works that Jesus. I'm just right there, okay? Now let's just move the greater intimidation part of it out. The greater. And let's just move over here. How can I do the works Jesus did? I've got to operate with the Holy Spirit the way He did. I've got to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and yield to the Holy Spirit the way Jesus did because the Holy Spirit is the worker of miracles. He's the one who initiates these gifts. He's the one who wills when they work, chooses when they work. Hallelujah. So there are three categories. If we wanted to take them and put them into categories for us to study how they work, there are nine different gifts listed here, but there are three categories. The first category we would refer to as the revelation gifts or spiritual gifts that reveal something. The revelation gifts or spiritual gifts that reveal something. The word of wisdom. The word of wisdom would be at the top of that category. The word of knowledge would be second. And then third, the discerning of spirits. Hallelujah. So for the sake of time, I just want to get into the word of wisdom tonight. The word of wisdom, and, and we'll see where we can go with this on Sunday as well. Sunday night, we'll probably continue along this line. The word of wisdom 
is the supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning the divine purpose and plan in the mind and will of God. I'm going to say it again if you're taking notes. The supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning the divine purpose and plan in the mind and will of God. The supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God concerning the divine purpose and plan in the mind and will of God. Hallelujah. So let's recognize the word of wisdom is not the wisdom that comes by the word that, for instance, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, it says if you will uh, uh, meditate in the word of God, then you'll succeed in the affairs of life. Psalm chapter 1 says if you meditate in the word of God. That's, that's talking about the wisdom that comes from the word. We're talking about a gift of the word of wisdom. It's not a gift of wisdom. It's not a gift of wisdom. We all have wisdom available to us in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says Jesus is made unto us wisdom. We all have wisdom available to us. The Bible says in James, if you ask, God will give you wisdom liberally. He will give you an abundant, liberal supply of wisdom. The wisdom of God, Proverbs talks about, that, that the Word of God provides wisdom. This is not that. This is a word of wisdom that is a supernatural revelation. What's the difference between a word and a sentence? A word and a paragraph. A word is a fragment of a sentence or a fragment of a paragraph. It's just one piece of it. So the word of wisdom does not give you the ability to read everybody's future. The word of wisdom can be something that God reveals by His Spirit. It's a supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God of something in the mind of God, in the plan of God, in the will of God. It's just a piece of it. It's just a word of it. And this is the part that does talk about the future. The, the word of wisdom is going to be about something that hasn't happened yet. I'm going to give you some examples, and we're going to look at Old Testament and New Testament examples. First of all, let's look at the Old Testament. God often used this word of wisdom to warn people about danger and judgment or to tell them about God's calling or His plan. So God used the word of wisdom when he spoke to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read through this, and, and I'm just going to pop through these examples, but I do want to read them out so that you can see what the word of wisdom looks like in operation. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms shall you make in the ark, and you shall pitch it within and without with pitch. 
This is the fashion you shall make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shall you make to the ark, and the cubit shall you finish it above. The door of the ark shall you set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shall you make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with you will I establish my covenant and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Hallelujah. So God used this word of wisdom to warn Noah about the danger that was coming and the judgment that was coming. And in that word of wisdom, he was able to obey it, act in line with it, and in doing so, he saved his whole family. Um, In Genesis chapter 19, we see the word of wisdom. Now, that word of wisdom to Noah came as the word of the Lord. I want you to take note of that because... Often they, the, the, you will see different vehicles used to deliver. How many of you came here in a car tonight? Right? The, we, it, you are not your car, but your car delivered you here. Right? There, this, this word of wisdom came through the word of the Lord, but we're going to see the next word of wisdom delivered by an angel. It's still a word of wisdom. It was a supernatural revelation by the Spirit of God about something in the plan of God, but an angel delivered it. An angel was the vehicle that brought it to Lot. Genesis 19 and verse 13. 19 and verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. So the, the warning came. It came through an angel. It was delivered by an angel. But angels cannot... Any time an angel brings a message, it's a message from God. It's a message from God. The angel is just the delivery method. Just like you might send a text or you might make a phone call or you might send an email. It's the same message coming from you, but it's, it can be delivered different ways. And we can see these gifts can, can at sometimes work in uh, a... a Uh, Through an angel, we're going to see one that works through a dream. Let's look at this next one, Genesis 37. God delivered this word of wisdom by a dream. Genesis 37, 5, we see Joseph received a dream. It says, He dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Well, that was the plan of God. 
And it was supernaturally revealed, but it was the plan of God. Amen? But it came by a dream. And the one previously came by an angel. Hallelujah. And then uh, another example in the Old Testament is 1 Kings 17. First Kings uh, 17 and verse 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zion, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. Chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in this third Years saying, go, show yourself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. There's two different examples. Both of them came as a word from the Lord to Elijah. One of them about the, the provision that God had for him the, at the widow of Zarephath, and the other one about uh, the instruction to go to Ahab. But these came as a word of the Lord. And they were things that had not yet occurred. They were things in the future. They were a fragment, a word of wisdom. New Testament example. Jesus. I'm going to just give you, I'm going to let you write these down because I don't want to keep you much longer. Jesus told the disciples to cast their net on the other side and they would collect a great catch of fish. John 21 verse 6. In Acts chapter 21, Agabus, Agabus took Paul's belt and wrapped his arms and said, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this belt. And he was, it was a, a word of wisdom about what would happen to him when he went into uh, the, the city. Uh, Paul's shipwreck. I'm going to look at this one because I want to show you two different ways that God gave him a word of wisdom about this. Remember, often the word of wisdom is to warn about danger, to warn about danger, or to warn about judgment. And I'll tell you what, there have been times when, I was, when my children were teenagers that I was glad for the word of wisdom. And the word of knowledge, because God helped me protect my children from dangerous decisions that they were making by letting me know what they were. My, my oldest daughter, she said, Dad, we can't get away with anything. God tells you everything we do. Amen. So it's not just something for, he wants to warn us and protect us. He warned uh, uh, um, Jesus' stepfather, Joseph, about the danger and so that he would leave that area. Amen? He left Bethlehem. He, that he warned him about the danger coming so that he could protect. And God will use this gift to minister to us help and rescue so in Acts chapter 21, or 27, I want to look at two different examples here in this chapter, or in this text. In chapter 27, 10, the apostle Paul said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with, much, with hurt and much damage. 
Not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. How did this word of wisdom come to him? It was an inward witness. It was, the, it was God speaking to him, but it's something about the future, so it's a word of wisdom. It's a, a, a word of the wisdom, something in the mind of God, the plan of God, something in the future, and he gave them, it came as a knowing, an inward witness. But then in verse 23, he, this is after they had refused to follow his advice, and now they're out in the middle of this storm that's raged so long that they've thrown everything off the ship that they had. And now he says, there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God has given you all them that sail with you. That hadn't happened yet. And you know, they had to, they had to, you know, when they're hanging on to the pieces of the broken ship out in the middle of the ocean with the shark fins circling around them, they had to be holding on to, God said, not one of us is going to die. God said, not one of us is going to die. That shark can't eat me because God told Paul by an angel that none of us would die. Amen? Amen. But it came, the first one came by an inward witness, the second one came by an angel, but they were both a, a piece of the wisdom of God, a piece of the knowledge of God about the future. Hallelujah. So we see Old Testament examples, New Testament examples. There are so many more. This is just a portion of them. Uh, we know that when the... Uh, Apostle Paul, before he was Paul and was, uh, was uh, still known as Saul, that, that he had got converted on the road to Damascus and God told Ananias to go pray for him and told Ananias the name of the street that Paul was on, told him whose house on that street. He said, go to Simon the Tanner's house on, on the street called Straight. He gave him the, I mean, specifics. Praise God. So, how did Jesus do what he did? How are we going to do the same works he did? We're going to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. That was my hour and power. (laughs) We'll discuss this more because I, I do want you to be aware and, and able to put your, your, put, your, put your finger right on the answers. Amen? Praise God. Stand with me to your feet. Did you receive tonight?